The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. They say that good things come to those who wait. And that can be true. For instance, uh, if you plant a fruit tree today, you may have to wait four years before you can enjoy the harvest. And that takes patience. But there are also some who say that good things come to those who hustle. So if that's true, then waiting isn't good enough. For example, if you wanna start a business, you need to work hard in order to enjoy success. Or if you wanna learn a musical instrument, you'll need to practice. Now, when it comes to fruit trees, I would say it's a little bit of waiting and a little bit of hustling. That's because fruit trees take time to grow and mature. But if we do some research and give our trees lots of correct hands-on care, we can enjoy fruit trees that will mature faster and that will be more productive. And that's what we're going to talk about today. My guest on the show is John Klein. He is a professor in the Department of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph in Ontario. And John's focus is on fruit tree physiology. And his goal is to identify the factors that affect fruit quality and yield. So now, before we dig into our conversation, I would love to hear from you. Tell me about your experience with fruit trees. Have you found ways to speed up the harvest Or does it take forever for your trees to produce fruit? If you're listening to this show live, just send us an email with your comment or your question, and we will enter you into today's contest. And today's prize is my brand new book. It's called Growing Fruit Trees Fast, A Beginner's Guide to a Healthy Harvest in Record Time. And if you win today's contest, I'm going to send you a copy of the book hot off the press. So to enter the contest, just send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. And also, if you want to learn more about my new book, Grow Fruit Trees Fast, you can order a copy at orchardpeople.com slash growfruit. Okay, so now for today's conversation, John Klein, welcome to the show today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you. I'm so glad you're here. So tell me a little bit about the work you do. Um, Are you primarily doing work to help commercial growers? And if so, how? Yes, uh, I work at the University of Guelph, um, and I'm primarily located at the Simcoe Research Station which is about an hour actually from campus. And my purpose is to really uh, educate uh, orchardists, um, those that grow fruit trees commercially, and to help them uh, improve 
uh, fruit quality, yield, and um, orchard management practices. So, uh, in, yeah. Yeah, in terms of what that, what role does the choice of cultivars or trees, how important is the choice of trees that the grower makes in terms of maximizing, uh, you know, getting a tree to grow faster and more be more productive? Uh, the choice of tree can um, play a big role in affecting how soon you get uh, fruit as well as um, how much fruit that can be achieved. Uh, so we have um, differences in species. For example, in Southern Ontario, where we're, where I'm communicating from today, we have a temperate climate. It's not, um, it's sort of on the Northern limit of production, but we can grow peaches in the Niagara Peninsula of Ontario. Uh, sweet cherries, tart cherries, and in other parts of Ontario, we can grow pears and apples and plums. And each species has a different um, uh, different genetics that affect how quickly the tree grows and how much fruit that can be produced. Um, I've noticed that in my orchard. Essentially what I see in my orchard, and I don't know if this is very common, that the cherry trees grow like crazy. They grow really quickly, um, but some of the apple trees, oh my gosh, you could wait forever to get a harvest from those trees. Is that uh, a generalization or, or is it actually accurate? Uh, it, it's a good generalization. Cherries grow more than apples in general uh, in a given season, uh, as well as peaches. Peaches are very rapidly growing. When you look at the actual amount of growth in a single year on a peach tree, it be, can be about, um, you know, a meter long in shoot growth compared to an apple might be half a, half a meter. So uh, the genetics of the species play a big role, but also there's a lot of other factors that can affect um, the growth of each species. And for example, the climate or the soil can have a huge impact. That's interesting. Okay, so also in terms of varieties, uh, one thing that I've heard, and I don't know if it's true, that Honeycrisp apples, which are kind of notoriously finicky and hard to grow, that they are incredibly slow. I've read online that Honeycrisp apples can take seven years to produce their first harvest. Is that is that true? Uh, from my experience, no. <laughs> Um, partly true. Honeycrisp tree, we, we group, in terms of apples, we group them into weak or vigorous or moderate vigorous varieties. Uh, the genetics of the cultivar play a big role in how quickly they grow. But there's something else that we refer to as precocity. And that how, that is how quickly the tree begins to bear fruit. And actually honeycrisp are very weak growers but they're extremely precocious. So they'll start to flower uh, the second year of um, after planting and begin to produce fruit if you let them. Sometimes that's not a good plan though, because it can result in the uh, tree growing slowly and then becoming runted over time or small. So you introduced two interesting terms that I've seen a lot of. And sometimes when you um, go to a fruit tree nursery, they will talk about vigor and they will talk about precocity or precociousness. I don't know if what's the right way to say it. What's the difference between the two? Uh, tree vigor, It uh, when you think of a, any plant, really, a flowering plant, there's vegetative growth, that is the leaf and the shoot growth. And there's the reproductive growth that is the fruit and flower uh, that are coming from the flowers. So tree vigor refers to the vegetative growth, uh, how much the tree shoots grow, leaf growth, etc. Precociousness or precocity relates to the flowering and amount of fruit that grows. And in particular, how quickly it's produced after the tree is planted. So obviously for a commercial grower, they want to get fruit fairly quickly so they can pay off the, um, the huge investment in establishing the orchard and having income 
coming back. So they don't really want to wait too long. Uh, so for apples, that's probably year three after planting that they want to see fruit coming back um, to to um, start to generate revenue. So for us, for home growers as well, or for small scale growers, um, you can research and learn a lot about rootstock and the role that the rootstock plays in how big your tree is going to get, but also how quickly it's going to grow, how resistant it is to disease. Can you talk to me about a little bit about rootstock and what role that plays in this equation? Uh, yes, rootstock plays a, a huge role in, um, in the orchard. So maybe I should first of all explain what a rootstock is for those that might not know. Uh, when you buy a modern tree from the nursery, you're usually buying a tree that has two parts to it. One is the variety, the apple or fruit that you want. So for example, um, in Ontario, some of the popular apple varieties are um, Honeycrisp, Empire, Macintosh, uh, gold delicious, etc. So that is the uh, top part of the tree, but there's actually a different root system and it's genetically different. And that's called the rootstock. And the rootstock is used for a number of reasons, but primarily to um, dwarf the tree or make the tree smaller. Um, it also do, does an, a number of other things that can benefit the grower but that's the primary function of the rootstock to provide size control or control the vigor. Or control the vigor. Okay, so here we have, I have a few comments here um, and this was originally from Facebook. So I put out on Facebook, I said, folks, you know, what are the cultivars that grow fastest for you? I've got a few interesting comments. I wanna read them to you, John. This one is from Lisa in New Hampshire. She writes, my Red Haven peach produced the fastest and most fruit. I have several varieties of peaches, pears, and apples. So that's interesting. So she's growing lots of different things on one site, but the Red Haven beats everything. D does that say anything to you or is that mm, an accident? Uh, certainly when you could, you know, that's my experience too. We grow at Red Haven at our research station. Um, and it's a peaches in general are very vigorous. And it, it's also important to add that not all fruit tree species like peaches and peaches and, and more specifically, but they, we don't have a lot of size controlling rootstocks for the peaches. So, uh, so generally they grow a lot more than um, apples where we have a huge range of rootstocks that provide size control. Uh, so I, I would certainly concur with your listener there from New Hampshire, where Red Haven grows very, very quickly and um, vigorously. That makes sense. So basically, now I understand that what you're saying is these size control rootstocks, because they're designed to make your tree smaller, they may also be designed to get your tree to grow a little slower. So maybe the smaller the tree, the less growth you get, the less growth, the less vigorous. Could that be? Uh, yes, that's actually the the purpose um, of the rootstock. Uh, we are having, you know, there's a lot of research on new rootstocks for sweet cherry and for peaches ongoing. There's also a lot of past and present work on new apple rootstocks. And yeah, that's the primary function is to offer size control, but more and more important, it's off also uh, to offer disease resistance uh, and um, in our climate cold hardiness where we were at the norm of the limit. So we wanna make sure the tree can survive the cold winters that we experience here in Southern Ontario. So, okay, we've got a couple of emails here. Let's see, the first one is from Dawn and Dawn is from Waterford, Michigan. And she says, hi, Susan and John. Just saying hello today, as it's the first time I've been able to listen to a live broadcast. And that's from Dawn. So thank you, Dawn, for that. Now let's see who else here. Um, okay, this is from Eric. Good afternoon. Eric from Hamilton, New Jersey here. For apples, we bend the branches down slightly 
below horizontal. And for pear, we bend the branches down to horizontal. This supposedly triggers the hormones of the tree to produce fruit rather than produce wood. This is quite contrary to the crotch angles that are taught in the US. Wow, Eric, thank you. What a great question. John, what do you say? Can you explain what his question is? Uh, yes, the uh, a branch, we call this training of the tree, tree training. And in modern orchards, uh, it's branch bending is a technique to promote flowering and therefore fruiting. So when the tree is growing, ver uh, when the tree or the shoot is growing vertical, it has a tendency to be vegetative. In other words, grow leaves and grow, uh, compete with the main leader of the tree. Uh, if we want to switch it into growing fruit, we can do that by bending it and you, you bend it and tie it down with um, various techniques. So you can use weights or string um, spreaders. Um, there's various ways, there's no right or wrong way. And that, what that does is it changes the apical dominance of the tree. Uh, if you think of a tree, the very tip of the tree or the main leader uh, is dominant over other parts of the tree. And that's, that's um, through a physiological process called apical dominance. It's actually, um, there's a hormone produced at the apex of the tree that's um, inhibiting the growth of the shoots down below. So the tree grows up tall and sort of in a Christmas tree shape. Um, so uh, uh, branch bending is a great technique to uh, encourage the tree into fruiting earlier. So very interesting. So essentially by weighing these branches down, stopping them from growing upwards, we are actually switching our tree into a different mode. We're telling the tree, okay, it's time to produce fruit. You know, don't mess around with too many leaves. You know, we want some fruit as well. What a great question. Thank you, Eric. We've got a few more questions here. So we'll go through. This one is from Ashley from Knoxville, Tennessee. So Ashley writes, just planted quite a few fruit trees, uh, zone 7A, so found your show of interest. Thank you for your work. And maybe I'll be the winner of your new book, Susan. <laughs> and that's from Ashley. Okay, and who else do we have here? Next, we've got one from Carolyn. Uh, hello, my name is Carolyn, and I reside in Edmonton, Alberta. I very much appreciate your email newsletter and your live radio shows. Could you please ask your guests to comment on this? I have noticed apple trees in my neighborhood hosting more than one variety of apple at the same time, likely from the owners grafting a new variety onto an established tree. Can you comment on if this is a recommended practice? How many varieties can be grafted at the same time? Thank you. So that's from Carolyn. Uh, good question, Carolyn. And uh, you're, you're located in one of the most northern apple growing districts probably in Canada, very cold winters. Um, yeah, a lot, of the, a lot of the retail nurseries will sell trees that have multiple uh, varieties grafted onto them. And they use, um, this is done in the nursery using um, uh, grafting techniques that they graft the uh, variety into uh, existing branches. And there's really no limit to the number of cultivars that can be grafted in. Probably it's only limited by the number of side branches that you can graft into. Uh, and uh, it, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's not done commercially. It's not very practical to do it commercially, but it's certainly great for the home gardener to um, uh, experience these different fruits that might mature at different times. And um, it's certainly a great conversation piece. In a previous show, actually, uh, we did, we featured a person who 
has uh, created the tree of 40 fruits. So this is a tree that he reproduces across North America, where not only are there different cultivars of one type of fruit, so like a bunch of different types of apples on one tree, he's got on one tree, you know, various different types of stone fruits. So you may have apricots and peaches and plums all on the same tree. So that was an interesting conversation also on this show. And let's see, we've got a a question here from Jane. So Jane writes, um, good afternoon. Is there a rootstock that is better suited to clay soil? Uh, That's a good question, Jane. Um, There are, really we don't recommend any rootstocks for clay soil. Uh, There are some that can tolerate wetter soils than others. Um, you probably caught me a little bit off guard, so I don't know which one necessarily to recommend. I'm sure you could find that on, on the website, uh, if you Google, uh, upper root stocks, but generally uh, commercially, we don't recommend, we recommend loamy soils or something with good drainage and clay soils generally don't have that. So the apple trees really don't do their best in uh, a sale, uh, a clay textured soil. Uh, I think it comes to mind Bud 9, Budagovsky 9 is one that might tolerate heavier soils, uh, but there are some that definitely don't, so you want to avoid those. And it so might take also, a bit, yeah, a bit mm-hmm. more research, uh, Jane. So Jane's job also may be to really work to improve her soil so that it will be more hospitable for apple trees in particular. Um, yeah, now here we've got a question from Greg. Uh, Greg is from Bloomfield, Finger Lakes, New York. Um, (laughs) So Greg writes, I may send a question after I listen for a bit, but just reading the description and wondering about pruning, specifically aggressive pruning, and if it helps with fruit bearing time and the amount and what kind uh, and amount and what kind of cuts would you recommend to get more fruit faster. So that's Greg's question about pruning and how that can affect vigor uh, and precocity. Uh, good question, uh, Greg. Um, generally, anytime you prune a tree, it's going to uh, reduce the size of the tree and it will delay fruiting. So it's, it's not really a technique to speed up fruiting at all. Sometimes the trees get too vigorous. And as a rule of thumb, we generally do that. We do heavy pruning when it's dormant, like this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere. And we'll cut probably no more than a third of the tree at one time. And then we would do more the next dormant period. Uh, And generally, it's better to make larger cuts than a lot of small cuts if you're trying to um, thin out the tree. Because anytime you make a cut, you're going to probably have regrowth. So bigger cuts will result in um, fewer uh, fewer um, locations where you're going to have a lot of vigorous, possibly vigorous regrowth. But overall, pruning is not going to um, promote flowering and fruiting. It's going to probably delay that. And what about over pruning? Because that's sometimes what you get. Well, pruning is important also, but it is important for the health of the tree, air circulation and things like that. I, um, but at the same time, uh, if you over prune, then you can actually have so much vigor that the tree thinks it's going to die and it overcompensates. Yeah, over pruning um, will generally lead to a very vegetative tree. Um, and it could suffer because it's not getting enough leaf uh, matter or leaves to support the photosynthesis to grow the tree. Uh, so yeah, there it, in in most fruit crops, including grapes and tree fruit, we want a balance. You need a balance of uh, both vegetative growth and um, reproductive growth, or or fruiting, flowering, and fruiting. And it's maintaining that balance is sort of the secret. And, it, and, and unfortunately, it's not a, a one-size-fits-all. It depends on the, the, the species, the cultivar, the rootstock, uh, the soil, the climate. <laughs> All those things come into 
come into play when you try to balance the the growth uh, with the flowering and fruiting. So a couple more Facebook comments I wanted to share here. Uh, so Jesse in Sweden, Maine, zone 4B, Jesse writes, Northern Spy is my most vigorous tree. And Jesse says, and it only took nine years to set its first apple. He said last year it was a good crop, but that didn't slow it down a bit. But nine years, what could be going on for Jesse that he had to wait that long for his northern spy to produce? Well, no, uh, for those that are outside of North America, you might not know northern spy, but it's a it's a very um, old variety uh, discovered in New York, and it's a very wonderful variety for cooking and baking. Uh, it, um, and it, it happens to be very, very vigorous as, um, Jesse pointed out, and it's all no, also notoriously late to flower and fruit. Uh, so those are very common characteristics of Northern Spy and some other varieties. Um, uh, the, the way to overcome that is really using a dwarfing rootstock. And we've, we've done that in our orchards. We've used a mauling nine rootstock, for example. And you can get uh, flowering and fruiting and bring it down to about th year three. So the broodstock itself can make a huge difference in both reducing the vigor and promoting uh, flowering and fruiting much earlier. That's a great example. I'm, I'm uh, glad we had that comment. Now let's see, we've got another email here, again from Carolyn. Carolyn writes, thanks for attending to my question. Uh, where can I find the podcast on the tree with 40 fruit? Please send me a link if you are able to. Happy growing. So Carolyn, all you have to do, and I can send you a link as well, go to orchardpeople.com slash podcasts, and you can scroll down and see previous episodes in the playlist. There's a playlist right there. And I think I did that show last year. It was so interesting. Okay, so hopefully that's helpful, but I will try and remember to send you a direct link to that episode. Um, now, a couple more comments. We'll have a commercial break in just a few minutes, but there are so many interesting Facebook comments here. Um, this one was from Tom in South Central Illinois. So this is what Tom writes. I have some camp fields. That's a traditional American cider apple. On M111, that's the rootstock that he uses, that have outgrown by far any other variety that I have planted in my orchard. All of the trees in my orchard are semi-dwarf and they are mostly on the M111 rootstock. On the other hand, I have some Harrison apple trees and that's also a very old American cider apple tree. And the Harrison apple trees are also on M111 and they are the slowest growing of anything in the orchard. So Tom says he has three of each variety. Each group is planted within 75 feet of the other. They're mixed together. So he feels like the soil is all the same. The, the, the climate is all the same. Um, so why would some of these trees, the camp fields that grows really quickly, on the M11 rootstock versus the Harrison that's just so slow on the same rootstock? Uh, it's a very good question. Um, I'm not too familiar. Well, I'm not familiar with Campfield. I'm a little bit familiar with Harrison, but it, although I haven't grown that one, but I am familiar with some cider apples. Um, M111 is quite a, well, it's a, classed as a semi-vigorous rootstock. Um, so it produces a, a generally a fairly large tree relative to the dwarfing rootstocks. Uh, it um, it could be the inherent vigor of those varieties. So, for example, Campfield may be more inherently more vigorous than um, Harrison. Uh, I don't have that information in front of me to know if that's actually true. If that's not true, some other possibilities are you do get a lot of uh, variation in soil, even in short distances, that may play a role. Or you could have soil-borne diseases. In, for example, if you take an apple tree, if you remove an apple tree and put an apple tree in the same place, uh, you can get to diseases. We call it apple replant disease. That could affect the, the growth of the new tree. 
So I'm, I'm sort of just speculating on what it might be. Another thing um, that can occur, and I'm not suggesting it's occurring here, but if you plant um, the, the union, the, the, uh, where the tree is budded in the orchard, um, we call that a bud union. And that's the union between the, the cultivar or the scion and the rootstock. If that bud union is, goes underground or is covered with soil, the variety can actually um, develop its own roots and that negates the effect of the rootstock. In this case, it would be M111. So it'd be like uh, a seedling, a tree growing without a rootstock. So that could make the tree go faster. That's a possibility. You can quickly just inspect whether that union is above the ground. If it's buried, it's, there's a chance that the, uh, the tree has become scion rooted and that could explain why it's growing faster. But um, those are a few reasons. Um, they may or may not be the reason in this case, but. I find it's it's a wonderful example because again he's he's comparing them side by side, which I'm sure is what scientists you guys do, right? You need to make comparisons. Yeah, yeah. Okay, one more comment uh, before we take a little respite. This is from Carl in Northwest Florida, and he writes: "Food forests imply shade, and that's something that must be considered also." I have gotten interested in the honey locust of the thornless types that allow a significant amount of sunlight to filter through. So Carl is talking about people who grow their fruit trees in these beautiful food forests layered with native and other trees. And so I guess my question for you is, to what extent could shade slow things down? or affect how your tree is producing if you don't even notice that you've got an overhead tree shading your tree? Uh, it's a great question, Carl. Uh, if you think about any tree and particularly tree fruits, uh, the driving force for, for any plant to grow is photosynthesis. Um, and that requires sunlight. So intercepting that sunlight allows the plant to grow. So um, generally in fruit trees, uh, if you're gonna grow a fruit tree in a uh, forest, you want a minimum of 30% uh, sunlight. Um, that's sort of the, the, uh, the um, threshold at which um, growers try to avoid essentially looking for in a commercial situation, looking for about 70% interception of sunlight. So uh, the more sunlight, the better, but if you're growing a tree under a, a shady canopy, it will, a fruit tree under shady canopy, it can grow, but it won't be as productive or grow as quickly as, um, as a counterpart growing in full sun. And so he's mentioning one particular type of tree, the honey locust, which has very small little leaflets would they perhaps allow a little bit more sunlight through? Yeah, absolutely. I have, uh, I enjoy uh, some sunburst locusts on my property and it's a, it, it, it provides a filtered sunlight and um, sunlight to get through. Uh, I would think it'd be quite possible to grow a fruit tree under that. Um, it probably will be much slower growing, but um, it may be able to, uh, bare fruit. Um, usually if you have too little sunlight, it will, uh, the first thing that will affect the tree is the formation of flowers and, and fruit buds. So I think you'll know pretty quickly uh, uh, the effect of the shading on, on the tree and its fruiting habit um, once, you, once you try that. An interesting twist to this uh, question is in an earlier episode of this show, uh, we talked about growing fruit trees in extreme climates like Arizona. And so in climates like Arizona, where it's like semi-desert, they actually recommend planting your fruit tree with a little bit of shade because uh, he was explaining that it gets so hot that the baby fruit literally cooks right on the tree. So there are times when shade will be beneficial uh, depending on where you live and what your uh, environmental conditions are. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, um, you know, uh, Pacific Northwest and Western Canada had some 
extremely hot conditions this year and they experienced that excessive heat. Uh, fruit trees generally, anytime you get above 30 degrees, um, photosynthesis shuts down or slows down and uh, that affects the ability of the tree to cool and uh, negatively affects growth. So yeah, having some way for it to cool through shade or overhead irrigation um, can help help the tree. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, let's take a few minutes. Until now, we've talked about a little bit about the types of trees that maybe grow more quickly. Maybe they're a little more precocious. Um, we talked a little bit about pruning. After the break, let's go into some more um, issues that could make help you grow fruit trees faster. We could talk about thinning the fruit. Um, we can talk a little bit more about uh, training and pruning and pest and disease prevention. So are you okay, John, holding on the line just for a couple of minutes while we listen to our sponsors? Sure. Okay, great. Thank you. So you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the Fruit Tree Care books, Growing Urban Orchards, and grow fruit trees fast. And we're going to be back right after this break. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes over 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. Did you know that Susan Poisoner of OrchardPeople.com teaches fruit tree care courses online? Here's a testimonial from Roger, a student from Howe Island, Ontario. Some years ago I retired and I wanted to have some fruit trees, so I did the usual. I went to the big box stores and, and bought what they had and I planted them and I had some successes but more failures. In fact, I was almost ready to give up when I discovered Susan's online course. It taught me a lot of what I thought I knew but didn't know. It's in uh, bite-sized pieces that you can easily understand and you can review the course whenever you want. Last year I had such success that this year I had to do very little in terms of pest management, either with insects or with disease. If you want to grow organic fruit trees, join Susan for a workshop at orchardpeople.com workshops. For 10% off tuition, use the discount code PODCAST.
Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. Send Susan an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. In the show today, we've been talking about fruit trees that grow faster and are quicker to mature and produce a healthy harvest. So in the first part of the show, we explored how to select a fruit tree variety that might be a little quicker to grow in your climate and conditions. So now let's talk about other ways that you can speed up growth and production. My guest on the show today is John Klein, professor in the Department of Plant Agriculture at the University of Guelph. And John's focus is on tree fruit physiology, and he studies the factors that affect fruit quality and yield. Now, before we continue our conversation, I would love to hear from you. If you're listening to the show live, just send us an email right now with your question, a comment, or just to say hi, and we're going to enter you into today's contest. Our prize today is my brand new book, and it's called Grow Fruit Trees Fast, a beginner's guide to a healthy harvest in record time, and it's valued at $14.95. You can order your copy at orchardpeople.com slash growfruit. That's orchardpeople.com slash growfruit. So to enter the contest, send us an email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com and be sure to include your first name and where you're writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. So now back to my guest, John. So John, we've been talking about fruit tree and vigor. Is there times when vigorous growing fruit trees are not a good thing? Uh, uh, yes, generally, uh, as I mentioned before, you want a balanced uh, growth on the tree. So excess, excess vigor can lead to um, disease pressures. Uh, it can relate, uh, result in making the tree difficult to manage, to spray, to harvest the fruit. Um, all those things that, uh, that are not always good. And so controlling the vigor is important either through pruning or uh, other techniques in the orchard. And, and also with regards to pest and disease, that's something that you brought up. Um, when you work with commercial growers, I suppose that's one of their priorities because that would really slow things down, wouldn't it? And, and ruin productivity. Yeah, uh, diseases and pests can have a huge impact, not only on the tree and the health of the tree, but also on the fruit and the quality. So growers are very cognizant of trying to control those uh, diseases and pests. Uh, and in our climate in Ontario, where it's a fairly humid and warm climate, lots of rain and moisture, some of those diseases are very difficult to control. For example, apple scab, uh, much harder than drier climates like Washington State, um, more arid climates. They have an easier uh, climate for you know, growing organic fruit, for example, just simply because of the lower humidity levels and lower moisture, lower rainfall events. So controlling pests and disease is going to be an important part of people's approach uh, to, to having a fast growing and productive fruit tree, something that people have to think about. Um, here we've got an email from Ellie. Let's have a look. Ellie says, I'm in Forbes. Uh, ND, Newfoundland, New, ND, Newfoundland? Hmm. zone 4A. Okay. I'm right on the edge of the Missouri Cochu and my soil. Oh no. So I don't know where, what is ND? Uh, hmm. North Dakota. 
North Dakota. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. That was helpful. Okay. okay. So back to Ellie. She's in zone 4A in North Dakota on the edge of the Missouri Cochu. And so my soils drain extremely fast. Any recommendations for me as I go about planting my trees this year? I have about 100 fruit trees to plant, all on standard size rootstock, but I have concerns about keeping them wet enough. Was planning on lots of mulch, but is there something else that I could do? Thanks. That's from Ellie. Yeah, thanks for that question, Ellie. Uh, really, I think you've, uh, you've hit the key thing is mulch. Uh, mulch, uh, various there's various forms of mulch, wood chips, um, straw. Uh, that can play a huge benefit in maintaining soil moisture, especially in arid conditions. The other thing is regular irrigation. So if you have a very sandy soil, you want to irrigate a little bit, ideally through trickle irrigation uh, and frequent irrigation. So possibly every day just to provide a... Uh, couple liters of water per day if you have access to the water uh, or every other day. Certainly on a, a sandy soil, you want to do it more frequently than a heavier soil, like a clay loam or a heavier soil. Um, yeah, and I think the, I'm suspecting the reason she's using a seeding rootstock is it's, that's a cold environment. And some of the dwarfing rootstocks don't survive very well in those cold environments. And they the, probably the growing season is uh, a little bit shorter. So I'm speculating that's possibly why she's growing them on a seeding rootstock. And some of those are extremely hard, hardy rootstocks. Yeah, and I'm wondering in terms of, so the, if the standard root size, these trees will grow to be full size, they're not dwarfing at all, but maybe then if they manage to establish themselves, their root systems will stretch out so much that there'll be more surface area to collect the rain before it sort of yeah. sinks down into the groundwater, right? Yeah, or they may actually penetrate deeper into the ground to access uh, the moisture that, that is there. So that could so, be a good, you know, good strategy for overcoming a, a sandy soil and an arid environment. I've always wondered in terms of the recommendations for sandy soil, you want to water more frequently. Uh, and what happens, you know, either way, the water likes to flow downwards in sandy soil, it's going to go down fast. So why does it matter if you're going to, why is it better to do a little bit every day than to do a lot one day a week? Uh, that relates to a relationship between what we call the soil water holding capacity and texture. So those sandy soils, if you have a really sandy soil, it cannot maintain, it just can't hold that water. It doesn't have the clay particles to um, uh, prevent the water from just draining away from gravity. Uh, so that's why you have to supply, it, supply a little bit of water much more frequently than uh, a heavier type soil. I like to think of the clay particles as like a little storage. They have little cupboards attached to them yeah, somehow. Yeah. They managed to store a little bit of water in these tiny cupboards, whereas yeah. uh, the, the sandy, the, the sand uh, particles, they don't store anything, no cupboards. Yeah. So um, I, I want to make sure that we talk about fertility management. As a home grower, um, you know, as an amateur grower, you go to the garden center and they have all these fruit tree fertilizers designed for fruit trees. Maybe there's lots of nitrogen. I've noticed that all of them have different numbers for NPK. Um, so to what extent is managing the fertility on your site and of your trees important in growing fruit trees fast and successfully? Uh, commercially, uh, nutrition or fertilizer is extremely important to the grower. Uh, and it's really no different for a home grower of fruit trees. Uh, it's, it's really, um, there are 16 essential nutrients in the plant. The most common ones we talk about are NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. Those are the, the, what we call the macronutrients, the ones that are needed in higher amounts. And um, really what we want to do is maintain an ideal level. We, want, we don't want to go below a minimum. 
and we don't want to apply excessive amounts. And having a balance of these nutrients is important. So commercially, what we do is we do a leaf analysis. We'll, we'll collect leaves in a certain fashion, uh, dry them down, grind them, send them to a lab, and they actually tell us how much nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, boron, zinc, iron, some of these essential nutrients are in the leaves. And that informs us whether we need to add more or less of a nutrient. And therefore, uh, you know, we're careful of the environment. We're not adding too much nitrogen that le leaches into the ground. If we have excessive amount, if we have too little, then we have to apply more to get into these um, ideal ranges for the plant to grow and be healthy. Yeah, that's interesting. So what you're saying is, what matters is the nutrients that are in your soil, that there's no one size fits all. You know, you're doing a test, you say you can dry up the leaves and, you know, send them for leaf tissue testing. Um, but there is no one bottle of whatever that will solve all your problems. Uh, that's correct. Uh, and really, um, you know, a lot of researchers have investigated the forms of nitrogen and the forms of fertilizers. Really, it comes down to the actual element. Um, it's These products vary in the way they're released to the soil. But when it comes down to it, it's really the nitrogen um, and the phosphorus ions that feed the root system that get into the tree. So it, sometimes the form is less important than the actual amount of actual nitrogen or phosphorus potassium that are applied either to the ground or to the foliage of the tree. So I'm curious, in terms of your work, do you ever work directly one-on-one -on -one with commercial growers? Do you end up seeing success? Like, do you have rewarding experiences where you've worked with somebody or you know that your research is helping people to produce uh, more successful harvests? Uh, yeah, actually, that's one of the greatest satisfactions I get in this in this job. Uh, being able to, uh, I do a lot of work with the commercial growers in Ontario. Uh, I do some studies right on their farms. And I do see uh, enormous success by these growers. They're, uh, and they're working under extremely, sometimes difficult situations with um, uh, competition from outside of Canada. They're dealing with weather issues, um, increasing costs of production. But I do see a tremendous success. Um, and they, some of our growers in Ontario uh, and in Canada are, are leaders in the field. And it actually is a privilege to, uh, to work with them. And I often learn so much from them just being, by being with them. Um, they, are, they are a great teacher to me and, uh, and I value that interaction. So it's a two-way street. Everybody's bringing their expertise, they're experiencing, you're working together and you're saying, hey, let's hone this. Let's, let's make this go better uh, so that we can produce marketable fruit that customers really want so that they don't have to import it from China. Yeah, that's certainly my goal is to help Canadian and more specifically Ontario fruit growers. But I do work with... Um, organizations in uh, other parts of the world. And um, yeah, the really goal is to produce sustainable fruit um, locally. And, and we can do it here in Canada, in Ontario. And there's enormous potential for growth, um, but the economics are the, are the challenge right now for many yeah. growers and the climate. Yeah, oh, climate change, oh my gosh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Oh, are you seeing some challenges around that with? Uh... Uh, well, we see much more variability in the weather. Um, you know, we the main concerns with growing orchard, uh, growing tree fruits is excess or uh, you know excess moisture or drought conditions. Uh, some growers experience hail, uh, cold winters. Um, you know, the tree is out in the orchard; it can't protect itself. Uh, so the growers have to find ways to overcome some of these challenges. Um, they're dealing with often spring times where the trees are flowering earlier and that predisposes them to frost. 
so some of these some of these issues are big and they're not easy to overcome. And every growing season, as they say, is different. And uh, and so each year, each growing season brings new challenges, and often the weather's a big part of that. Amazing. Well, I don't know about the the rest of the people listening to you and and this um, and this show today, but I just feel really honored to have the opportunity to work with fruit trees to let them, you know, teach me and show me their wisdom. When you interact with a fruit tree, you realize it's not so simple. You don't just plant, you know, a thousand or ten thousand trees and just wait for you know the payday, right? There's just so many delicate things to work on. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. It's it's really a package system. There's a system approach. There's many things that uh, we learn uh, to grow fruit trees successfully. Absolutely. Okay, well, I think it's time to find out who won the contest. And Gary, are you on the line? I am. So, John, what's going to happen is I have all those names in a little bucket here, and I'm going to shake the bucket. You're going to hear it, and you tell me when to stop, and I will pull out a name. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Stop. All right, let me reach in and just grab someone here. And we'll see what we got. And the winner is Ellie K from Forbes, North Dakota. Wonderful. Ellie, congratulations. That's great. One of the many excellent questions. I think wasn't Ellie the sandy soil person? So, yes, thank you so much, everybody, for participating in the show and in the contest. We had so many great questions today. So Ellie, what we're going to do is uh, we will send you an email to get your address. And as soon as my book is in print, which will be very soon, I will get it and I'm going to send it off to you. So you will be one of the very first people to have my book. And I'm really, it's funny, John, because uh, we're having this conversation today and I have been immersed in the question of what makes fruit trees grow quicker because so many home growers, we, if we grow anything, we grow a zucchini plant or something where in the beginning of the season, you plant the seed by the end of the season, you enjoy the fruit and you have to adapt a little to fruit trees. You got to be patient. So, uh, yeah, so this has been a topic that I've been thinking a lot about. And so it has been wonderful to talk to you about it. And I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been my pleasure, Susan. I'm glad to share this time with you and with your listeners. That's great. Okay, so um, we are finished the show today, but if anybody somehow tuned in in the middle of the show and you want to listen back to the beginning, there is a way you can do that. All you have to do is go to orchardpeople.com slash podcasts. And once the live show is done, I edit it, I put it up there and you can listen back. You can also listen to previous shows, and this is episode number 78. So there are 77 other episodes that you can listen back to where we talk about all sorts of topics around fruit tree care. And if you want to learn more about fruit trees, you can go to orchardpeople.com where I have articles, there are videos, there's all sorts of good stuff that will help you. And again, if you are interested in my new book, Grow Fruit Trees Fast, just go to orchardpeople.com slash grow fruit and you'll learn all about it. So that's all for today. I really hope you guys will join me again next month and we are going to have another very interesting topic to discuss. So thanks everybody and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast.
this show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees, or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener. And I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.